The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus and his disciples arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As Jesus stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swineherds saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to see Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, my Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Amen. The Gospel lesson you just heard uh, is the first time that it is read uh, as a part of the lectionary. You know, we've gone to the new Revised Standard Lectionary. And uh, which is used now in a great uh, deal of the uh, mainline churches. And the old uh, Episcopal lectionary did not include this story. And as I was spending many hours trying to figure it out, I understood why it hadn't been included. (laughs) But I really do think there's something here for us. I hope I can bring it to you. (laughs) It's a strange tale. It's a story about a trip that is a bizarre trip. It reminds me of something that's called the Abilene Paradox, and some of you may be familiar with it. Uh, It was introduced by uh, management expert Jerry Harvey in an article entitled The Abilene Paradox and Other Meditations on Management. And the tale that he tells is about a family, uh, a couple, and uh, one of their parents, that set of parents is there, the in-laws are visiting, It takes place in Coleman, Texas. They're sitting out on the porch. It's a hot summer day. And if you've been in West Texas on a hot summer day, it's even hard to play dominoes. 
And they've been sitting there for a while. And finally, the uh, father-in-law says, why don't we go to Abilene for dinner? Now, Abilene is about 53 miles north of Coleman. This is happening perhaps in the 1950s. And you can imagine no air conditioning in the car. And it's always dusty out in West Texas. Well, they say, that sounds like a good idea. Someone else says, yeah, why don't we do that? So they get in the car, travel to Abilene, get to the restaurant. They have a miserable trip getting there because of the heat. The food is lousy. Four hours later, they arrive back home. And someone says, not very honestly, wasn't that a great trip? And the mother-in-law says, no, it really wasn't. I didn't want to go to Abilene. Well, the father says, I didn't want to go to Abilene. I only agreed to go because the rest of you wanted to. The the father-in-law said, I only agreed to it because everybody else wanted to go. And suddenly there was the awareness upon them that nobody had wanted to go to Abilene. I've been to Abilene figuratively many times. (laughs) And I think perhaps the disciples, if they'd known about that story, might think that The other side of the Sea of Galilee is about like Abilene. This is a very strange story, partly because of the sparseness with which the gospel is, is told to us, this particular episode. It starts with Jesus saying to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. And they do. They get in the boat. And they get out on the lake, and as you know uh, the story that follows, they end up with this storm that surrounds them, a very difficult wind storm. Jesus has fallen asleep in the boat. They wake him up. He calms the storm and admonishes them about their faith. And then they arrive on the other side. And when they get out of the boat, what happens? But Jesus is greeted by a madman. That's the reception party on the other side. So it's, it's rather bizarre. They, there's no explanation why they're going. I'm sure there must have been some discussion of it. But I'm almost certain that there must have been a great deal of discussion afterwards as to why on earth are we here? Now, it's interesting to note that what is on the other side of the lake is the Decapolis. Those, those cities that were styled after the Greek city-states that were established when Alexander the Great's empire went on into that part of the world. And the culture and the religion that was practiced there were Greek and Roman. It was predominantly Gentile, and one could guess that it was probably the most unappealing place that any Jew would ever want to visit. There was nothing about it that appealed to the disciples, I'm sure. And then when they get there, what happens but they're greeted by a madman. Now, you heard the gospel story. As they arrive, this man comes to them and shouts in a loud voice, the demons within him, shouting that they want Jesus to leave them alone. And he has tried to cast them out, but they're resisting. And the other thing that we we learn about this is that the man is naked and he is a Gentile. He has been cast out of the city in which he lived and he lives among the graves. Now, for a Jew, everything about that is unclean. Jesus has immersed himself in uncleanness. And there's no explanation why they have come there. We don't see very many accounts of Jesus visiting Gentile uh, territory. 
But this particular account, Jesus goes out of his way to go to the Gentiles. Now, I would say that some of that certainly points toward what will happen later with the gospel, that it will be spread among all of the Gentiles. But I think it's also possible for us to see in it that Jesus was expressing to the disciples that this is something that's not just for the Jews, but it is truly for all people. It's very hard for us to imagine the culture of the time and how this particular account would have been heard by those who heard it in the first century. After all, we're separated from that culture by two millennia. But I think there's, there are many layers of, of meaning that are captured in this story that we just barely get at. And one of them is when Jesus asks the demon to uh, give his name. And the demon says legion, because there are many. But for a Jew who heard legion, immediately they would have thought of the Roman legions, the most feared organization that was a part of the oppression of the Roman Empire. 5,600 soldiers in a legion. One can imagine the destruction that they could potentially bring upon a population. And perhaps, perhaps what is said in this account is that part of the oppression, part of the possession is legion. It's the Romans. It's the oppression of Rome. But anyway, we don't know for sure, but it's very odd that 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 particular name would be used for this particular set of demons. Now, besides being a place that is very unclean, it seems that the response that Jesus gets is pretty resistant. And a very odd thing happens there. There's a kind of a negotiation that goes on between the demons and Jesus. And I don't think we see this other places in Scripture. And they negotiate, saying, don't cast us back to the abyss, but cast us into those pigs over there on the hillside. And so Jesus does that, and the pigs go off into the lake and are drowned. Now, this is when things start to really deteriorate. And perhaps part of the reason is that some of the livelihood of that area was just destroyed, And one can imagine that because these were pigs, we know that it probably was not a Jewish swine herder and may, in fact, have been a slave who had been the swine herder there of one of the Romans or a servant of one of the Romans. And Jesus was very clearly upsetting the balance of things in that part of the country with regard to the relationship with Rome. It's no wonder that. Jesus' reputation went before him, and eventually he was very much in danger because he just didn't leave things alone. He did little things that upset people with lots of power. But not only that, the people come out from the, from the city and the people from the countryside because they're afraid, and they tell Jesus, leave, get out of here. And you can imagine the disciples scrambling for the boat to get out while the getting was good. And there stands Jesus, as fixed on that one person as he was from the very beginning. All of that going on around him, and this man now having gone away and come back clothed, kneeling before him, and he asks Jesus if he can go with him. And this, I think, is the point of the story. Jesus responds to him, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he sent him away, proclaiming throughout the city 
so much Jesus had done for him. I think that is what the story is about. Not all of us are called to be disciples who follow Jesus, who leave where we are and go to some other place to proclaim the gospel. But perhaps we're being called to return to the place where it's hardest to proclaim the gospel, to our home. One can imagine how difficult it must have been for that man who had been cast out of his town, had been completely cut off from his family and from all relationships, to go back to that town and to declare God's goodness and God's grace. So I think the point of the story for us is that, first of all, we too can be possessed. And there are all sorts of things that possess us in this life. And perhaps for Americans and for those of us living in Western culture today, it's our possessions that possess us the most. But God can free us. God can free us from what possesses us and make us whole. But it is done for a purpose. And the purpose is so that we might proclaim the good news, the glory of God. And so this day, my prayer for all of us is that we might be freed from the demons that possess us. Freed to return home and to declare what Jesus has done for us. Amen. One of the dangers of uh, straying from my text is that I left out something that I just have to share with you. <laughs> Lou hates this when I do this. So this is really dangerous. If you would think for a moment, if you remember uh, in the account of Paul and his persecution of the Christians, he's on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. Now, we don't know what this guy did when he was relieved of his demons, but he was in the Decapolis. And Damascus is one of the cities of the Decapolis. And Christianity had spread so much within that area that Paul went there to persecute those Christians. So it does make me wonder, did one person's life change enough that it affected that whole region? Because Jesus said, go home and proclaim what God has done for you. I just had to tell you that because I think it's such an, it's such an interesting thing to speculate about. That one man may have made all of that difference.